I, I come today, you don't have to answer this aloud, but maybe you could just do the, the inner heart scan. I come today wondering how you are today. And I, I ask you to consider how you are because it occurs to me in my lifelong meditation of the life of Jesus that he made it his pattern to move into spaces deeply attuned to people who were bruised and beaten down, people who were weary of the fight. He had sort of a, a radar for those folks. And in those spaces, he had the capacity to move into their heart space and to speak an effective word of blessing into their lives. The impartation of some sort of spiritual energy that have the unique capacity to, to elevate the consciousness, to lift the energy, to make the human heart whole. And it could not have been otherwise because Jesus was the walking embodiment of the living God. And at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, what we see is that when God created the first human pair, the very first thing he did was to bless him. God's most central desire is to move towards us to elevate our sense of significance, to bless us wherever it is you're coming from on your spiritual journey. In the Gospel according to Matthew, where we are, the first book of the New Testament, Jesus launches his public ministry. People are gathering about him. He climbs up on a hill, perceiving their weakness, their burden, the heaviness that they were living under, he spoke words of extraordinary blessing. Uh, I want us to say these words of blessing together, these beatitudes. They're listed on the screen in a paraphrase uh, called the message, and so they uh, probably won't be the words that sort of no, most naturally um, flow from your lips, but maybe the uniqueness of this articulation will catch you somewhere along the way in something that you could hold on to for either you or for someone in your world that is needing to be met by Jesus today. So let's say these words together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Take a little concentration, okay, since it's a paraphrase. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate 
instead of compete or fight. Amen? Yeah. Uh, that's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Let's pray. God, our desire in a world that tears us down is to know your blessing. And some of us, if we think back carefully on this week, we might have found ourselves in places where we were part of the tearing down of other people. And uh, we're so sorry for that. And we also, especially then, need to know your blessing. Open our hearts and minds to the blessing of your reign, the blessing of your rule, the great feast that you promised satisfies the heart's deepest hunger and desire. These are the things we pray on this day in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me continue on in this sermon on the mount that Jesus spoke. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. This is Matthew 5, 13. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. People do not light a lamp or put it under a bushel basket. Rather, they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, you are to let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Now, let me say a few words about uh, this unfolding text. I think the context is helpful for us to make meaning of what Jesus is saying. Jesus gives these two extraordinary affirmations to these beaten down people. You are salt and you are light. It may help us to make sense of the context by traveling through some of ancient Israel's history. Israel as a nation had a brief moment of glory but for centuries and centuries at this point had been beaten down and ruled over by superpower after superpower after superpower. They had been conquered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Medes and then the Romans. And if you're a studier of this story or you're just a studier of human history, you know that when conquerors come in, they take the best of the nation and drag it away and adorn their other countries with the goods of the nation that they conquer. They take the best art. They take the gold. They take the treasures. They take, uh, Vicky and I were in Italy this past summer, and it's like, oh, they, they take, uh, you know, religious artifacts and put them in their own temple and make your little story part of their bigger story. And they took the best people. They took the smartest people, the best artists, the engineers, people who could make their society better for their purposes, leaving this other nation completely impoverished. So that's why it is in the Old Testament that you have a story like Daniel's. He would have been like a gate kid, you know, gifted, talented person. That's what they're going to take to be in the service of some other king. And all that's left in Israel for centuries and centuries then are the leftovers, the island of misfit toys. And Jesus says 
to these people who are literal leftovers in their world. You are salt. You are light. That's not that meaningful to us yet. Someone calls me salt, I think, yeah, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> you know. So, salt, you know, in the ancient world, if you're a study of history, you know, it's um, a form of money. You know, people traded uh, with salt, used in commerce. Uh, our word for salary comes from the same root word as the word for salt. So whatever kind of job you have, if you have the privilege of having a job, maybe you could think about what it feels like on the first of the month when your salary, in theory, gets in reality placed into your bank account. That feels good, doesn't it? I mean, it feels like I want to treat myself. Uh, if it's a decent salary, maybe it feels like I want to, I want to treat my friends. Let's go out and celebrate. Uh, life feels more secure. Jesus is saying, you're like that. You add value where you go. Salt is a wonderful metaphor. Uh, salt brings out the best in its surroundings. Have you ever had like a bland steak, you know, where it's like, ah, oh, I spent so much money on the steak and I'm a little bit disappointed. Uh, it's just not, I don't know, it's missing something. And someone says, just add just a little bit of salt. And sometimes, sometimes you don't need a bunch of sauce. It just needed a little bit of salt. And it's like, wow, that's fantastic. Jesus is saying that you have the capacity to be like that in situations, neighborhoods, and work teams that are bland and boring. You have the possibility of bringing out the best in those people. Salt is a preservative. It keeps things from rotting. Salt, throughout the ancient world, held mysterious healing powers. For centuries and centuries before the time of Christ, all over the world, in China and Rome, in Greece and Egypt, people used salt to heal all kinds of diseases, diseases of digestion, diseases of the respiratory system, or skin-type diseases. Maybe you know somebody who has one of those sorts of diseases, all three of those, digestive disorders, respiratory disorders, or skin disorders. It could be so isolating, right? So make it so hard to participate in the life of a community. It can make it so hard to feel like you could enjoy life and move and climb and play. When I was a child, all throughout my childhood, I had some sort of eczema, like skin rashes on my arms and legs, and sometimes I just could not sleep. But worse than that, when I had those rashes, you know, I like tried to keep them covered up because they were not terribly attractive. And when I would play sports, like on the wrestling team, you know, you put on a uniform that exposes your arms and legs, and the kids would say, ooh, what happened to you? And I just thought, I, had, like, I just want to hide. You know, I, I feel body shame, and maybe you or people you know have some sort of body shame that you feel. Salt is a healing, uh, has healing properties. Jesus is saying to these beaten down people and then to us, open your eyes to the world, to all these people who are suffering, living half-lives. I sent you out into the world to preserve what is 
good about their lives and to bring forth the best gifts that I've placed in them. That is your calling. You are salt. And then he says, you are light. You are a source of wisdom and hope in the world. You are my source of wisdom and hope in the world. And it's no secret then in the Gospel of Matthew that you have these magi coming from afar. They're scholars, uh, people who were trained in the arts of reading the stars, coming from afar to poor people, to Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Not because Mary and Joseph were all that brilliant, but because the light of God's presence decided to dwell there. God is saying, you are to be that kind of light in the world. You may not feel like you have that much to offer. I don't feel like I have that much to offer when I'm roaming throughout the world. But Jesus is imparting this sense of value, saying that because I am the light of the world, and I am amongst you, you are to be a part of my plan to see light extended to all of the nations of the earth. You are salt and you are light. Jesus elevating our sense of vocation. There's a great purpose to your life. You know, when you think about your own seasons of suffering, uh, you know, I think it's the most human reaction to respond to seasons of suffering by shrinking our life vision, you know, circling the wagons, taking care of ourselves and our kind. Uh, we have been beaten down in a world of fear and hatred. It's possible to return hate for hate. It's possible to let the fearfulness and the scarcity of the world invade our thinking so that we also are living in fear, to let the darkness take root in our way of exploring the world. And Jesus says to them and to us, there is a grander purpose for your life in a world of death, I have come to bring light and life. And I am in your midst that you might be the extension of light and life. Jesus makes these two great affirmations to us, and I want us to consider them as we embark upon this new ministry year. Let them, these affirmations, sift down from your head and into your heart? Can you receive in your gut the energy of this blessing, that there is an eternal purpose to our life together? Could you receive the elevating energy of Jesus' words, that there is a purpose for your life that's greater than just getting by and checking things off the bucket list? We have meaning as a people inasmuch as we understand what it is to be so filled with the presence of Christ that we're absolutely clear that we are to be in all we do his saving, healing salt and his light in the world. Along with these affirmations then, Jesus gives two corresponding warnings. I appreciate it. I think he's saying, 
this might be hard for you to believe, <laughs> you know? Uh, if you've been around church for a long time, it feels like salt, light, yep, heard it before, <laughs> you know? I think Jesus is saying, in our heart of hearts, this might be hard for you to embrace as you go. And so he gives these two warnings, do not lose your saltiness and do not hide your light. He's like, I think, reading our mail. He's saying to us that it's possible for some of us who don't have a great sense of agency to want to just blend in in the world. And Jesus is saying to those of us who have that struggle, no, 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 don't lose what is distinctive about you. And he's saying to those of us who don't feel like a very high wattage light bulb, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I don't have anything to offer. Jesus is saying, let your light shine. He's saying, do not lose your saltiness. He's saying that our capacity to operate as his healing presence in the world is found in our distinctiveness. That's why I think he says these really challenging words in the following verses. Let me read them to you, verses 17 to 21. Jesus is here speaking about the character of his people. He says, do not think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, the elite religious leaders of Jesus' day, unless your righteousness exceeds them, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't have time to like get into all those words. We could write a PhD thesis about all of what this means. Jesus is getting into a topic that is sown all throughout the entire New Testament. You run into this issue again and again. What's the relationship between faith and the law and the prophets? So that's an enormous topic. If you take me out to lunch, I'll talk to you about it. <laughs> but at very least, what we can say here is that Jesus is saying that the distinctiveness of his people will be shaped fundamentally by the story of Scripture, the law and the prophets, the story of the Old Testament fulfilled in the surprising life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He's saying here that we ought to be people who are immersed in that story, who are fascinated by that story, and who draw our intuitions about what a good life is from the arc of that story. It is that story that shapes a peculiar people, a people who look like the invisible living God. So in its most basic way, I think this is a challenge to us to be a people who double down in our love for Scripture. I've said this before. I'll say it again briefly here. 
It is the case, research tells us, that as Bibles have become more and more available, we all have 35 versions in our own pocket right now, and in the abundance of that, Christians in America read the Bible less and less and less every year. And in a secular world that no longer supports Christian thinking about things, you know, like 100 years ago, people who weren't really Christians, if they were writers, they would be writing filled with more biblical allusions than you or I could remember. Their whole world was filled with these ideas, even if they weren't followers of Christ. Our world is no longer like that. And the ideas and images that we will borrow, if we don't borrow them from the scripture, will be from some other cultural source that will shape us into a different image. Jesus is saying here that there is a greatness to life that only comes from immersing ourselves in the story of God. And if you find that story hard to understand, find yourself a friend. There are all kinds of really awesome people here. Some of them really well-studied and published type people, all kinds of people with great skills that can help us find what is interesting, fascinating, and helpful about the scriptures. Find friends like that. Jesus warns us to not lose our saltiness, and he warns us not to conceal our light. Matthew 5.16, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This actually is pretty self-evident, but we should read it slowly. The first thing he's saying is let your light shine before others. I think he's just saying, like, be a generous spirit, you know? Uh, go throughout your life, your day, your week ahead, aware of the needs around you, and give of whatever God has given you to give. Give financially. Give of your time. Give of your attention. Give of your grace. Give of your compassion. Let your light shine. Put your resources in play for the sake of the kingdom of God. You will find that when you do, there's a deep satisfaction that it stabilizes the soul. Don't you feel that? It's like when you let your light shine, when you take a moment and put your to-do list down, life feels more true. We are more of who God intended us to be. Let your light shine before others. And then he's saying to do it in a specific way so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus here is saying that somehow we are to figure out a way to offer our gifts in the world such that there are breadcrumbs that might lead someone into the presence of God so that if they never saw our beautiful faces again, they might have some clue that they did not just meet a kind soul, but they met a soul who was pointing them to the living God. Jesus is challenging us to summon up all of our creativity to find some way in this secular world that is allergic to talking about religious things find some way to communicate to people that the reason that you are giving to them your time, your attention, and your resources is that there is a God who loves them 
who sees their life, who knows their name, who cares about their plight. Now, of course, there's wisdom in that. We don't do that in every conversation. We're not proclaiming the gospel. But I think he's saying we should ask ourselves, where we're living in our neighborhood, those of you who have been living there for two years, three years, four years, eight years, 15 years, does anyone have a clue that your life is trying to tell them that the God of the universe knows their name, that he cares about their plight, that he cares about the struggle that they're in, that he has a gift to bring that only he can bring. Have we found that way? C.S. Lewis, the great uh, British author and Christian thinker of the last century, said that the church exists for nothing else but to draw people into Christ. If we're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, and even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. Now, we don't have cathedral, and you don't call us clergy, so you know maybe C.S. Lewis would say, all our small groups, all our potlucks, all our little mission trips, all the things that we write and blog about and do, they are a waste of time if we don't orient them to helping other people know about the God who loves them with an everlasting love. So, if you are here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, you're just exploring, what this means, I think, is to say that God wants for you more than just following the rules. God wants for you something more than just church participation. If you are not a follower of Jesus, I want to say to you that God wants more for you than to fill your mind with Bible knowledge, although I happen to think Bible knowledge is really cool. What God wants for you most is to draw close to the fullness of his love for you and for you to rest in that love, to trust it. That's what we call faith. And if you are a follower of Jesus, what this means is that our diverse personalities, passions, and giftings all coalesce around this one great purpose. And when they do our life together, we'll make the most sense. And we will, even if it's hard for us to imagine, experience optimal joy. We will know what we were placed here on this earth for. You are salt. You are light. And our central mandate is to live in the world in a distinctive way such that other people can follow the breadcrumbs that we are dropping and find as they want and will the love of a living God, a love that's sweeter than honey, a love that's a, a fiery blaze. I wonder if you could receive that mandate today. In some circles where I'm in, people talk about doing like a body scan. You know, how are you, how are you receiving what's going on in this space. Body scan, maybe that sounds too airy, you know, for you. But it's just to say that I'm not asking you what you think about it, because many of us would check off the evangelistic mandate to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, yes, that's, that's in the Bible if you've been around in the world of the church. 
I'm wondering as you scan your, your body, how, how you respond to that proposal that to be salt and light in the world is the most elevating of mandates. How do you feel about that? Do you lean towards that invitation? Do you run towards that invitation with everything that you have and embrace it? Is there anything in, about your inner being that is leaning away from that invitation and feeling like, like I'm feeling uncomfortable? I was doing this, this past week, and I realized, you know, I'm giving this message. I'm giving the message primarily because it's there in the Bible. <laughs> That's what I do. You know, but when I stop my mental process, my reading and my sense of what it is that the church is supposed to be, the idea that we are to be salt and light in the world and that we are to let our light shine in a way that people could glorify the Father in heaven, follow the breadcrumbs of my story back into the presence of God, I feel uncomfortable, <laughs> you know? I feel a little queasy in places, sort of like I remember that feeling the time about 15 years ago where I climbed Half Dome, you know, in Yosemite. And it's like this big, long hike, and then when you get close to the end, it just gets steeper and more dangerous. And I remember being at that place and feeling like, it's too high, you know, it's too hard. Uh, I might fall down and make a disaster. That's, that's what I often feel like when I think about what does it feel like in our secular context to be a people who are dropping breadcrumbs that lead into the presence of God? For some of us, it feels hard. It feels like, I'm okay, I might end this relationship right now. <laughs> you know, it, it could be a disastrous thing. Research tells us that there are a percentage of people in the world of the church who have some sort of evangelistic gift. That percentage hovers sometime around 10% typically, although the recent research tells us that number is dropping, you know, in this context. It's to say it's kind of hard in our context to be out, so to speak. And there are a lot of reasons then where, you know, a small percentage of people in the church might feel like, why are you even talking about this? Of course, this is what we do, and it's great. And there are a small percentage of people who, like, my friends who have some sort of gift in this realm, it just seems like they can say the most inappropriate things, and it works. <laughs> people go, oh, tell me more, <laughs> you know. I try to say the exact same thing, and they're like, bugger off, you know. <laughs> go, go away, you're bothering me. So we can't expect that there are some percentage of us that feel... Uh, left-handed, so to speak, in this realm. And no offense to those of you who actually are left-handed. You know. <laughs> there are some of us who feel like, I don't know how to do this. And then in this context, where so many of us are kind of leaning back a little uncomfortable and don't want to make the climb up half dome, there are spiritual cultures that try to get traction by pressurizing the system. Maybe you've been a part of one of those church systems before where it's like, it's your duty, it's your responsibility. Something terrible is going to happen to those people if you don't do the thing. I'm going to hold you accountable. And it's like, I just want to go home now, <laughs> you know? So 
all of those ideas, I think you could probably find them somewhere in the Bible. I just never found them to be very effective over the long haul. So if you're part of the River Church community, I want to assure you that while I'm casting this vision for us to be a people who are helpful to others in finding Christ, it's not really my way to pressurize the system. It's not my, my way to audit your time, see what you're doing, and are you obeying the Lord in this realm? I could, but like, what fun would that be for any of us? So my plan is this. My plan is to call us all to relax into the presence of God and to relax into the gifts that he is pouring out in our lives and to trust the good, the good way that he has made us and the good way that he is already at work in the world. Let us relax into the reality of God's love. I want to assert to you that God's love is more proactive than you and I could possibly know. Our great confidence isn't that you or I could ever convince anyone that Jesus was raised from the dead. Our great confidence is that God loves people that we despise. God loves people about whom we are indifferent. God's heart breaks for people who've made a shipwreck of their lives. He is pursuing them, and he will use anyone who is available to embody and articulate his love. We can relax into that reality. And relaxing into that reality, if that sounds too loose to you, I think a step of confident conviction that God is at work in the world would be the practice of curiosity. That if we are convinced that God is at work in the world around us, we might want to ask, how has your week been? What is going on for you? What, what's happening in your life? And to look with discerning eyes about the challenges that people are facing in life so that there might be some kind of need that's there, some kind of place to intersect. We have a neighborhood potluck on a regular basis in our neighborhoods. So it's a really great uh, social neighborhood. And uh, it occurred to me uh, that one of the women sitting in the circle uh, lost her husband last year in a terrible motorcycle accident. She has two small kids. They're grade school age. Um, she had a tattoo, a new tattoo, with you know, some message about what kind of person her husband had been. And she was clearly trying to communicate something about the grief that she was still processing. So there is the space to be present too. And then the question simply becomes, how can I relax and say what is most genuine in, in my heart in this space? So we were in a public place, you know, I've got to preach the gospel to someone in that space. But I did say before I left, like, you know, she had told me that she'd been very up and down in these days, that grief comes in waves, sometimes out of left field. And I just said, you know, like, I, I didn't... I don't know, you know, what that's like, but if you ever find yourself in a place of needing someone to talk to, just come over, you know, and my wife and I are happy to chat with you or to, you know, entertain the kids. We're happy to pray for you if that's something that you would like. 
That was just a way of dropping the breadcrumbs of someone saying that, yes, there's a nice person here, or sort of nice anyway. Um, and this person seems to believe that there is a God who is extending love and care in this space. My gift in that space seems relatively ordinary to me. So, uh, you know, when I think about the gifts that God gives for us to execute the mission that he's given, I'm sort of an ordinary person, <laughs> you know? So it's like I would articulate my gift as like, I like attentive in the ordinary moment. Where is God in this ordinary space? That's my gift. I wonder if you could take ownership or affirm your gift. There are all kinds of gifts that the Holy Spirit pouring out upon his people to bring the world ablaze with the fire of his love. Some of you have gifts of compassion, and God is going to work through those. Some of you have gifts of power. There are, you just need to pray for people. Some of you have revelatory gifts. There are things that you know about other people's lives. There's an impression. Don't conceal that gift. Let it come into play and see what happens. There are some of us here that are uh, just have gifts of kindness, gifts of presence to one another. Some of us have gifts of intellect. We have the most interesting ways of entering into conversation about important things. Whatever your gift is, let it come into play. As we do, I think God wants to give us a common dream, the dream of a people who live in freedom, who don't live under pressure, who aren't trying to perform to make some external authority happy, just people who are going about our lives in every season, high seasons and low seasons, grateful for the blessings of God and aware of some simple way we could extend it to another. And if, 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 increasing numbers of us this year could live in that sort of freedom and that sort of relaxed confidence in the goodness of God, well, something new would happen this year. We would have all kind of kingdom touch points outside of this building that would bring life and energy to our souls. And I think we would see scores and scores and scores of people begin their journey of following Jesus, asking questions, asking you questions, reading books together. Let's let this year be like that. At the beginning of our gathering, Grace talked about a program called Alpha. That's just one way. But one way to be salt and light is just think, do I know anyone that would want to come to something like that? Maybe I would. Or if it feels like they're not going to come to that, you just start a conversation about what it is they're curious about in the realm of spiritual things. Let's enter in with confidence and with hope and receive a new season this year. I'd like you to stand where you are. We're going to pray together. Joey and the worship team are going to come and lead us in worship. Let's just be in the presence of God together as we uh, get to whether, get to sing songs of praise to God. Those songs will be most meaningful 
if we interact with God a bit about his call on our lives to be his salt and light in the world. I feel like some of us feel a little empty on the inside. It sounds like pretty good ideas, but you need your own sense of renewal that God is healing love for you. So if you feel empty-ish today, that the love of God feels distant to you, I just invite you to place your hand on your heart. Let me pray for you. Spirit of the living God, one who has called us to be salt and light, help us to know you as salt and light. Be healing salve on our wounds. Those here today who feel out of breath and those here today who feel irritated and agitated by the things of life, those of us carrying shame, be for us healing love in this space. And I do see the waterfall of God's grace pouring out healing love upon many today. And if that's not you, maybe, maybe you are connected to a loved one or a friend who feels that shame, that agitation. Be for each of these healing salve that we might know that we are loved and that we might be agents of your good love. We worship you. We worship your goodness in Jesus' name.